Are you generally a happy person? I mean, really, maybe you don't think about it much, or maybe you think about it all the time, but would you consider yourself a happy person? Uh, I've been reading some stats on happiness. If, if not, if you would say, honestly, I, I, don't know, I don't know that I would consider myself an overwhelmingly happy person, uh, you're not alone. A 2022 Oracle survey found globally, you ready for this? 45% of people they surveyed globally have not felt true happiness in more than two years. I mean, that, that feels pretty, I don't know, that feels pretty depressing. Uh, that feels maybe a little unfair. After all, we're Americans. We literally made it a constitutional right. We put it in our founding documents, didn't we? Don't you remember the Declaration of Independence? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are, cr- it, 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 whatever, you memorized it. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are what? Life, liberty, and say it. I mean, it's right in there. So for two, our our country's almost 250 years old. I don't know what you're planning for America's 250th in 2026, but it'll be here tomorrow. So in 250 years, let me just ask you, how, how we doing on that pursuit of happiness? How we doing? As a, as a country, as, I mean, you got 45% of the globe saying they haven't felt true happiness in over two years. So I'm thinking about all this, and last week in the Wall Street Journal, I was reading an article called, What Went Right in 2023? Here's how it begins. According to most polls, Americans are ending the year in a sour mood. Trust in all public institutions, ranging from the government to the Supreme Court to the media to the military, is near historic lows. Four in five Americans confess to being worried about the economy and believe it's getting worse. Fully two-thirds of respondents tell pollsters the country is, quote, on the wrong track. The upcoming 2024 presidential election seems to depress almost everyone. (laughs) War in the Middle East and the ongoing plight of Ukraine in the face of Russia's invasion create a sense of a world in conflict, and the surge in illegal immigration has reached a point where there's an emerging bipartisan consensus that it must be addressed more forcibly. Well, you know you're in trouble when Democrats or Republicans are willing to work together on something, right? So the point of the article, it actually, it's an interesting article. The point of the article was to go on to point out that there's a lot that's good and a lot that's positive that happened in 2023 that simply never gets reported on. But for me, I couldn't get, that, that, that's, that's a lot to swallow in that first paragraph. I couldn't get past that. It leads a lot of people to say, well, look, the only, the only people who are happy are the ones who aren't paying attention. To quote Mark Twain, sanity and happiness are an impossible combination. (laughs) It's like you have to choose, you know? And so some people just check out of the whole thing, and they just make a mockery of the whole thing. Like Gertrude Stein, who said, well, whoever said money can't buy happiness didn't know where to shop. I mean, like, right? You're just checking out. So that's it. I, 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 you, you see my point. This is a tricky topic, and it still comes back to, are you happy? And there are some people who would say, look, you're asking me at this time of year, you're asking me in the bleak midwinter of January, there are some folks who say, yes, there is one place where you can still go. I call it the Jimmy Buffett, Kenny Chesney option. It's the Caribbean. <laughs> and so even that, even that, uh, According to the World Happiness Report, it's an amazing comprehensive study, 2022, 
Here are the nations that report the highest levels of happiness. In order, number one, Finland. That's where reindeer live, (laughs) y'all. Then Denmark, Iceland, Sweden, and Norway were in the top five. These are cold places. So even the Caribbean falls flat. We're back to my question. Are you a happy person? Our Bible passage for today is actually about happiness. And the Bible has the audacity in 2023, right? Because it still speaks. The Bible is living and active. So therefore, it has the audacity to not only talk about happiness, to not just take the Gertrude Stein and just make it a joke and scoff at it or to say with Mark Twain, well, you've got your head in, your sa- head in the sand and you're not sane. No, but to actually say not only is happiness out there, but talks about how to have it. That's remarkable. Meet me in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. First sermon of the new year, first psalm. Psalm 1. I'm going to read it in its entirety. It's not long. It talks about two and only two ways of life. Psalm 1 is the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Are you there? It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1 is like the, like the vestibule of the book of Psalms, right? Psalm 1 is like the welcoming lobby, and it starts out with this phrase, blessed is the man. This means how happy is the one, how blessed is the person. The Hebrew word blessed means happy. It just does. How happy is the person? Joyful, fulfilled, satisfied, favored by the Lord. Now, let me pause here. If, if, If you're new to church, if you're new to all this, you may need some inside information. Did you know a lot of preachers and a lot of Christians, they shy away from using the word happy. It's almost like happiness gets a bad rap in sermons. And I, I think people don't like to use the word happiness because they're afraid of being misunderstood by what they mean by the word happy. And I, I, I totally get that. I think people will sometimes say, well, I'm not, I'm not really after happiness. I'm after joy because happiness is based on circumstances, whereas joy is deeper. And if that's your definition, I can understand that. And we'll talk about that uh, in a second. Or I, I think people will say, well, happiness doesn't mean that Christians are smiling all the time and that and everything sunshine and roses, and I understand that. We'll talk about that. But I wonder if we do sort of a, a, a disservice, if we talk so much, like, like sometimes happy, I, I don't know, like 
We, we overqualify and we equivocate so much on this word. Blessed means happy. Literally, blessed is the man means how happy is the person. I guess what I'm saying is the Bible is not ashamed to talk about happiness. It is the first word of the first psalm. The psalm, the whole book of psalms begins where we all want to end. Happy. And if the Bible is willing to say, you want happiness? Come into these psalms and get it. Then we have to say with the Bible, and I'm making this my first point, and I'm, I, I stand by it. It may be staggering, but this is, I've got three points. This is point number one. You ready? Happiness is possible. Now, I, I'm, I'm curious to know kind of how that lands on people. Because the those who have lived an unbelievably charmed life are going, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe there are some who are thinking, that's not so staggering. Happiness is possible. You know, you're thinking, I, I came out here on a Sunday morning to be told that happiness is possible. To you, I would say, whoa, not so fast. Remember the 45% of people who haven't felt true happiness in two years? If the odds are true, then there's somebody in here who needs to just hear, that more than anything else in this sermon, you need to hear this first point. Uh, you've forgotten this, but the Bible's willing to say it, and so am I. Happiness is possible. There's joy in this journey. And it may have been a long time since you've felt it. And it may feel like that's a pursuit that is simply unachievable. But it is. You need to understand that. If 2023 for you has been particularly hard, then lean into this truth. Blessed is the man. How happy is the one? Happiness is possible. Now, of course, there will be those who would say, well, yeah. I mean, that, 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 that's obvious. In fact, there are some who would say, not only is it possible, there are some who say happiness is natural. We, we should feel happy. It's a completely natural response. And I think that is how most of us start out as children, isn't it? Unless you've had an unusually harsh childhood, a lot of us start out thinking happiness is natural. And then as you grow up, right, you hear these dire warnings from your parents about how hard things are out there. <laughs> You know, it's not always like this. Hey, life isn't fair. You should save your money and not spend it because, you know, it's a tough world out there. Life's tough, you know, and you think, well, maybe it isn't so natural. And over time, and the more life experience you get, you start to realize happiness isn't nearly as natural as we think. And so I, I think there's this, this sort of spectrum. And in fact, there are a lot of really quote-unquote successful people who get everything the world has to offer them. Everything the world says will make you happy. They get there, and they're some of the most cynical people you can imagine. And part of their cynicism is, I thought all this stuff was supposed to make me happy, and it didn't. So there's this sort of migration from, well, yeah, happiness is possible. It's natural. Everybody should have it. All the way to, I don't even think it's a Achievable. It's complete cynicism. It's unachievable. I was on an airplane and uh, a few rows behind me, somewhere behind me, there was an infant who was not having a good flight. And, uh, you know, just, just, just screaming up on the landing. And, you know, sometimes it affects your ears a little bit, but, you know, but you could tell that there was a, the, the, the general tone of the aircraft, the passengers, uh, it wasn't like they were upset. It was more like, you could tell there was a bunch of parents on the plane because it was more like, yeah, been there, right? 
Isn't that good when other parents are like, we get it. No need to apologize. We've been there, you know. But anyway, it was kind of, it was kind of kept going. It kept going to the point where you couldn't not notice it. And finally, I guess to break the tension, some loudmouth, a few uh, uh, seats in front of me yells out, I hate to tell you, kid, but it doesn't get better. <laughs> and the whole plane did what you did. And they laughed. And I'm sure the parent was, you know, it's just breaking the, but nobody disagreed with him. Nobody disagreed with him. Everybody laughed because they're like, yeah. And there was this, I don't know, this sort of despondency that like, why are all the truly great works of literature, they're about tragedy. Why are there so many rich and famous people who say the world should make them happy and they're filled with cynicism? So, now, now, now on this spectrum, to be fair, there are some who would say it's perfectly natural. Yeah, everybody should be happy. And those are a pretty naive way to look at life. Others would say it's unachievable. And I do think there's a vast majority in the middle that aren't thinking about happiness at all. They're just trying to get to soccer practice on a Tuesday night, right? But, but, but I wonder, where would the Bible fall on that? I think the Bible would say, no, no, I think it's too much to say happiness is natural. But I think the Bible would say a resounding no to anyone who would say it's simply unachievable. I think it would say happiness is possible. You say, where do you get that? Because Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man. How happy is the one. It is possible in this world to be a fundamentally and consistently happy person. I know it's a radical statement, but I stand by it. Okay, so if that, if some of you, that's all you need from today. That chunk out of the message is what, that's what you need to hear from God's word today. But right away, the, uh, the, the, the human mind asks, well, if happiness is possible, why do so few people have it? And that leads to the second point. First is happiness is possible. The second is real happiness is fundamental. And what I mean by that, fundamental, as, as opposed to superficial, okay? As opposed to circumstances, Real happiness is fundamental. The happiness that is held out and offered by the Bible and offered by God is a fundamental happiness. To see that, we need to look at verse, verse 3. Look at verse 3. Look at how the happy person is described. Now, you'll notice throughout the psalm, blessed is the man, and uh, he is like a tree. That, that doesn't mean that this is reserved for men, obviously. This is just like uh, old language, the way we would say like mankind means humankind, okay? So this person, he or she, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What a wonderful image. I want you to see this tree in so many ways is like every other tree. This tree has to go through seasons. Did you see that? It yields its fruit in its season. So it's not always fruitful. It's not always blossoming. When it goes through a very harsh winter or a very dry summer, this tree feels it. It's not always bearing fruit. I'm sure like most trees, this tree probably likes it better when there's plenty of sunshine and just enough rain. And yet it has to go through the exact same seasons and exact same circumstances as every other tree. Everybody see that? This tree is not, uh, uh, doesn't have, like the old cartoons where the, the rain would be falling on just Wiley Coyote, but sunny everywhere else, or just, you know, there'd be a little ray of sunshine just walking over this one particular character. No, 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 this tree is not immune to the vicissitudes and circumstances of life. So what's the difference? Ah, well, this particular tree is unlike other trees in that it has been planted. We'll come back to that word. Trees don't plant themselves, do they? It has been planted on a riverbank. 
Its roots have constant access to not just one stream, but unremitting streams of water. Of course, leave it to Charles Spurgeon to name some of the streams of water. It's by a stream of mercy, a stream of grace, a stream of never-ending love, right? Planted by these streams of water. And when the heat comes and the drought comes, it's not dependent on the rainfall that may or may not come. When you, just when you need it. The Bible is saying the key to happiness cannot consist in external circumstances. Oh, if only it would rain a little more. Oh, if only I could have that, 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 that nourishment that comes down. If only these external things would happen. No, no, no. No, it's got this deep down roots from which to draw. It has a reservoir of resources that are not dependent on external circumstances. Too often we think, if I could just get through this season of life, if I could just get there, if I could just have this. The Bible says that's not the way the truly happy person lives. I heard uh, Dr. Tony Evans at a conference once, and he was given a message, and he, he, was, he was in New York, and so maybe he was reminded of this, but in 2003, we had a pretty significant blackout. I mean, it was, it was three or four days. I remember I was there. And he gave an illustration that had a whole different perspective. He happened to be traveling in New York and was staying at a hotel. And it was across from LaGuardia Airport. I mean, it's disconcerting to see the airport is dark and all around. I mean, you know, the city that never sleeps is suddenly, you know, dark all around. And he walks into the lobby of the hotel and the TV is playing and the lights are on and everybody's happy. And he's walking around going, "Uh, what is happening here? (laughs) And uh, the whole city is dark. The power grid is down. And the, the hotel uh, owner simply, uh, or the manager simply responds, oh yeah, we've got a few years ago, somebody sold us on this big generator, and uh, we've got this generator cranked, and it's running, and uh, our sources tell us that we're backed up, and we're going to have enough to be able to run this for days at a time. Uh, he says, uh, see, all these uh, external power grids can do what they want. Seems we have an internal sense of power. Dr. Evans' point was well made. No matter what happens out there, we are drawing from a power source in here. We're drawing from a source that is somewhere that the world doesn't have access to. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This tree, its roots go deep down. That's why it's not dependent on external circumstances. It's, it's, it's unaffected. Uh, Tim Keller says the classic text on this is 1 Peter 1.6, which, which talks about, though while you, you rejoice in him, though you are now in great heaviness. And I've heard him make this point from several texts. But 1 Peter 1.6, you rejoice in him, though you are now in great heaviness. Did you notice that? You rejoice in him, though you're in great heaviness. Heaviness means despair. Isn't that something? It does not say you rejoice in him because now you're no longer in great heaviness. And it doesn't say because you're in great heaviness, we've got to put a pause button on the rejoicing piece. It's both and. You're walking through the heaviness, just like this tree. You're facing everything that the world throws at it. While you're in that heaviness, what are you doing? And rejoicing in him drawing strength. In fact, what, let me just ask you, what does that tree do as the drought goes on past normal levels of drought? Hmm? What does that tree do when the, the drought goes on just a week? That's okay, maybe okay. Then two weeks, then three weeks, then four. What does that tree start to do? Doesn't that tree, the roots do what? They go even deeper into those riverbanks. 
They draw even deeper. Now, in the life of a Christian, when you go through hard time and you go through those suffering, what do you do? Do you pull back? No, you drive even deeper into the streams of living water. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. When did God draw you closest to him in your life? It was a season of pain, suffering, drought, and it drove those roots even deeper into him. Though you are suffering, you rejoice, both and, grieve and believe. See, well, there are some people, I think, uh, some Christians don't, don't talk like that. They say, well, I, you know, if you're a Christian, just smile and praise God. Don't let it get you down. No, no, that's, that's unbiblical. That's unhealthy. Of course, you're going to walk through grief. But at the same time, you're going to have deep and fundamental source of blessing. What's the opposite of that deep, fundamental rooting and blessing? Verse 4, chaff. It says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, some of you might want to pause right there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I thought this would like a sliding scale, you know. Um, I thought it's like thesis, antithesis, and then synthesis, right? That there's all, no, the Bible, this is antithetical. Meaning to say the Bible says, um, uh, there's the blessed, the happy, and the wicked, yeah, but I thought there was kind of a messy middle. We could, you know, the Bible is saying, hear me clearly. And, and where else, who else in your life is supposed to speak about these big, uh, uh, in the long run, when you boil it all down, what really matters, if not the Bible? And here's what the Bible says. In the end, there are only two paths and there is no third. Do you feel that in this psalm? Two paths. Not multiple paths, not 20 paths, not 50 paths. Blessed is the man. The wicked are not so. The one that's planted has this blessing, but the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is the ultimate example of what is rootless, weightless, useless. Uh, it's, uh, chaff won't make it through the drought, but chaff won't make it through anything. Um, and it's true that people who are unrooted can't make it through hard times. But listen, people who are unrooted can't really enjoy the good times either. The good times are robbed of goodness, and the bad times are filled with badness. Therefore, the wicked, verse 5, will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Those who reject God cannot live in heaven. They'd be out of their element. <laughs> a fish could live in a tree easier than an unrepentant person in paradise. Heaven would be an intolerable hell to an unrepentant person, even if he were allowed to enter. So to have a happiness that is fundamental, not dependent on circumstances, but on God. Happiness is possible. Happiness is fundamental. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not dependent on circumstances. Well, you know where I've got to close. I've talked about happiness, talked about how it's possible. The Bible's laid it out there. The obvious question that remains is, how, how do you get it? And the answer is, you can't. Well, you can't directly. Here's the third point. Real happiness is never gotten directly. This to me is profound. Again, I give credit to Tim Keller for the way he, he shapes this. Uh, happiness, he says, can never be found directly. And I think he's right. What does he mean? Happiness is always and only a byproduct of seeking something else more than happiness. Do you hear that? 
Happiness is a byproduct of seeking something else more than happiness. So throughout the Bible, whenever you see blessed, and the most famous is not Psalm 1, by the way. Blessed is the man. Where's the most famous blesseds? Isn't it the Beatitudes, right? When Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount? Well, you'll notice whenever you see the word blessed, it never says, blessed is the one who seeks after blessedness. In other words, how happy is the person who seeks happiness? You never see that. You never see how happy is the person who hungers and thirsts after happiness. That's not what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. What does he say? Blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Isn't that something? Seek happiness. And yeah, 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 righteousness, you're told, is an important component. And um, integrity is good. But at the end of the day, listen, always tell the truth and always, you know, try to do your best. But if, but if you ever have to choose between your happiness and shading the truth just a little bit, shade the truth because what you're really after is happiness. You hear that lie? You hear that? The Bible says, no, put righteousness above everything. No, no, no. The world says, put happiness above everything, even if you have to be, lose your integrity or lose your righteousness, and, and you'll get happiness and maybe some righteousness thrown in. The Bible says you'll get neither. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Isn't that something? Seek happiness with no regard to righteousness, and you'll get neither. Seek righteousness with less regard to happiness, and you get happiness thrown in as well. Happiness comes as a byproduct. Happiness comes when you're not, in fact, looking for it, when you're not so much pursuing it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So how do you do that? Well, for that, we have to go back where we started. Go back to verse one and two. These are the applications. Look at what the happy person does. There's, there's some things he does not do and some things that he or she does do. You got it? Let's start with what the blessed man does not do. Verse one, blessed is the man, three things, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So here's where the application, y'all, here's where the rubber hits the road. Here's where you go, okay, Tom's talked about happiness from the word of God. I see right here, blessed is the man. How do you do that? If, if, if you don't just go pursuing happiness, what do you, what do you go and pursue? You, well, you pursue righteousness. Okay, how do you do that? Well, let's, talk, let's start by what you don't do. You say, why? that seems negative. Why is that negative? No, no, no. Every yes involves some no's. You look at these incredible athletes that are able to do these incredible athletic feats. That's because they said no to that staying out late. They said no to that particular diet. They said no to that quart of ice cream. I thought happiness was going to be at the bottom of that. I thought for sure my pursuit of happiness. No, they said no to that so that they could say yes to some things. And that's what you see here. Notice the progression. Walk, stand, sit. Walk in the council, stand in the way, sit in the seat. There's a progression here. What is walk in the council of the wicked? Ah, this is, it means it starts here. What is council? It's all up here. Where are you getting your thinking? You, know, you can't live right if you don't think right. Starts with the mind. Walking in the counsel of the wicked. What is influencing you? What is, what is the counsel of the wicked? Doesn't that sound so mysterious? It almost sounds like a, a cultic. The counsel of the wicked, you imagine some satanic committee around a witch's brew and they've got hoods on and they're chanting. I, I think everybody would avoid that. No, it's worse. The counsel of the wicked is simply the way people talk every day. 
The counsel of the wicked. Walking in the counsel of the wicked means you blend into the streams of this world's thinking without thinking too much about it. David Foster Wallace in his uh, commencement address to Kenyon College uh, tells a little, uh, a little fable about two fish, two young fish that are swimming along, and an older fish swims by and says, hey, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish look at each other and go, what's water? <laughs> um, that's the problem. Because fish have never known anything other than that surrounding culture, it's a uh, it's almost like, what's water? So in his excellent new book, Digital Liturgies, Samuel James makes this point. He says, the social internet has become water, and we're like the fish. Every day, we are affected by it in profound ways. And if you want to read his book, Digital Liturgies, he gives some liturgies that we're being trained in without even just knowing it. If you're not actively pushing against this, you're being pushed in this direction. Expressive individualism. Think, think my story, my truth. Mm. Outrage. You're being shaped into outrage. You're told to be outraged at things. The abolition of truth. Shame. Consumption. Meaninglessness. This is the, the counsel of the wicked. And that's why Romans uh, ch chapter 12 says you, you, you got to actively fight against it. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, and then you, you walk in the council long enough, you pull off for a minute, and you stand in their clump. You know, I, I remember uh, the, uh, exiting the New York City subway, everybody would kind of pile out, and you just kinda, you're kind of like, uh, like cattle. You're all moving in the same direction. Well, if you saw a group of, a group of people pull off together and stand there, you'd say, well, they're, they're tourists, or they're a group, or they're trying to get their family together before they exit, and so they're standing together. Well, you're walking in the council of the wicked, then when you stand, it means you're not going anywhere for a minute. You're part of this group. You've taken it on. You're not even ashamed by it. And eventually it leads to what? Sitting in the seat of the scoffer. You've gone from walking in the counsel of the wicked. It started with your thoughts. Then it went to your behavior. And now it's gone to how you're judging others. You, 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 you're judging life as it passes you by. And that, 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 that cynicism, that seat of scoffers. You know, back then the seat meant like the judge's seat. You sat down to make a ruling or to give a teaching. And here you see that seat of the scoffers. Oh, that's a it's a dreadful place to be. You're no longer a, a, a creating, you're just a consumer. You know, the seat of scoffers is the internet comment section. You didn't make anything, you didn't produce anything, you didn't try to do anything. You just sat there from behind the comfort of your computer screen and you sat in the seat of mockers. It's the seat of the cynical and the scoffer. You know, I, I, uh, I, from time to time I get uh, feedback on uh, messages, and I always try to say, you know, what was helpful, what was encouraging. And it's, uh, it's funny, in the Matthew series, uh, some of the, uh, I'd say the most emails I got uh, were from folks saying, hey, um, I'm going through something, and that, uh, I talked about um, Peter stepping out of the boat and walking on the water. And, you know, and I talked about how Peter, um, you know, he walked for a minute, but then he lost his, lost his faith. He looked around at the, the wind and the waves, lost his faith, and, and Jesus saves him and says, okay, well, you know, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And I, I just made the point that, look, I mean, we could pick on Peter all day long, 
but nobody ever criticizes the boat people. Nobody ever says, oh, Matthew, where was your faith? Nobody ever says, oh, Thomas, why did you doubt? Well, they do, actually, but later, but, you know. Nobody ever says, hey, what about Andrew? So as long as you stay in the safety of the boat, you'll be free from any criticism. And I think I put some quote up about uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, it's not, to the, it's not to, the, to the critic. It's not the critic who counts. It's the, it's the man in the arena who's covered with blood and sweat and is out there fighting. You know, let the critics, they're just, they're over here in the boat. Anyway, I had the, the most emails I got were asking for that t- Teddy Roosevelt quote. And they would say, hey, let me see that. I, I need to see that. Because apparently they were going through criticism. They were just, they were trying something. But who were they hearing from? They were hearing from those in the seat of scoffers. Mm. Well, there's so much noise. So if you're not going to do this, if you're not going to walk in the counsel of the wicked, and you're not going to stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers, what, what do you do? What do you give yourself over to? Verse 2, his delight. Oh, he loves it. It's an acquired taste, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There it is, y'all. That's, that's what we need to be about this year. Delight in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord there is the Torah. It, it, it doesn't just mean the rules of God. It doesn't mean he delights at the rules. Think about how much of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as the psalmist, that's all he had to delight in. And think about how much of that is story, how much of that reveals God. And he's saying he, he, this person delights in that. Think, we have 66 books that we get to delight in. The law of the Lord, the, the, the story of what God is doing. And one, like I said, it's an acquired taste. Once you get the taste for the goodness of God, you, you, the taste of the goodness of his word, you want it more and more, and you want to meditate on it day and night. You know, that, that, that word meditate can be confusing because unfortunately nowadays, meditate, we think of Eastern meditation, which is uh, 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 really uh, unhelpful at best and wicked practice at worst because it's about emptying your mind and letting you just be filled with the reality of the present moment and let your heart guide you. I think there's a lot of problems uh, with that. But the meditation that the scriptures talk about, when the Bible talks about meditation, it's not an Eastern meditation of emptying. It's actually the opposite. It's filling, filling your mind with God's word. So meditate actually is a related Hebrew word to ruminate. It's the sound an animal makes when it's chewing the cud. And I thought, well, you don't need to know the sound an animal makes when it's chewing the cud. Some of you meditate when you chew on something so good. You've done it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Seven layer dip, seven layers, you say. Uh. Oh, I can taste all seven, right? Yeah. What are you doing? You're meditating. See, you're filling. You're, you're getting the richness of it. And so this idea of uh, meditating, chanting, think about it. We've only had a copy of the Bible Right, 500 years or so, right? So what did people do before that? They would take a portion of scripture, then they had to memorize it. Well, how do you memorize it? All day long, you meditate on it. You're chanting it. You're saying, okay, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the, Lord, on the law of the Lord, he meditates day and night. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the, counsel of the wicked, or stands in, the, no, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the... What am I doing? Meditating all day long. He's saying that, that, that's what this person's day is like. That's what's going through their head. That's what they're doing. There is, you all realize, there is so much noise. Meditating on God's word is a way to do this. As David Mathis says, his voice first. In your day, in this year, if you don't have this as a daily practice, his 
voice first. First in priority, first in deference, but even first in your day. You wake up instinctively looking for words. You want to hear a word. You, you have a hunger in your soul when you awake every morning to hear some news. And so, so, so that's why, tragically, we turn that hunger into notifications and news, social media and news, video clips and news, and some just straight news. Hmm. The hunger of your soul you awake with is not designed to feed on today's news, but on the gospel good news. Notifications can wait. News can wait. His voice first. His voice first. And as you do this, as you, as you reject the ways of the world's thinking, this incredible thing happens. You're over here focused on the front door of what comes in your mind. You're, you're going, no, 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 I'm going to reject the way of the world. I'm going to put his voice first. I'm going to acquire a taste to delight in the law of the Lord. I'm going to find some scripture and meditate, chew on it, meditate it all day. You're focused on the front door of what comes in your mind and out your life. And you know what? Happiness done snuck in the side door while you weren't looking. I almost titled it, Happiness is Possible, Happiness is Fundamental, and Happiness is Accidental. But I was afraid it'd be misconstrued. I, I don't mean like, but, but an accident, as in it's, it's, it's a byproduct. It's not because you went looking for happiness. It's because you sought God with everything you have, and happiness was thrown in. Well, the psalm, I told you, is two ways to live, and you cannot treat this text fairly without commenting on the last verse. I'll comment on this last verse. The musicians will come. I hope the invitation is clear. Look at verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I said it before, I'll say it again. There is no third option. The way of the righteous is the blessed man. His way will prosper. The way of the wicked will perish. Derek Kidner writes, and so the two ways, and there is no third, part forever. And this is where a lot of people, it's a tough place to end a sermon, you know. They think, wow, come on. See, this stuff about the way of the righteous, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, he watches over, and the way of the wicked, it's nothing but perishing. And that's such a harsh word, Tom. Why do we have to go back to the Old Testament? Couldn't we have stayed in Matthew? Oh, what do you do with this? What do you do with this? The way of the wicked will perish. This, isn't this a harsh word? What, what if you're here today and you go, but I, I, don't, I don't have this happiness. In fact, I don't even think I, I know the Lord. Well, the way of the wicked will perish. Is there, is there something we're supposed to do with that? Yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Can you imagine? To go from perishing to being planted. No tree plants itself. We don't uproot ourselves and say, hey, that streams of water thing sounds pretty good. I'm going to go try being a Christian. I'm going to make myself into a Christian tomorrow. No, you cry out to God and say, Lord, replant me. Only you can do that and you will be planted. Can you imagine to go from perishing to planted? So I, I hope the invitation is clear. This is the invitation. We're going we're, we're gonna to sing this, this hymn, and here, here's the chance to respond. The best I can tell, there's three responses here. Some of you, you just need to be filled with the encouragement of God. Happiness is possible, and you know it because by and large, you're walking in the joy of the Lord. You're experiencing it, and Psalm 1 simply affirms what you're doing to encourage you this year to keep doing and to spread that good news to others. 
Then there's others that you are not yet a believer. You would say, when you describe the chaff that is rootless and weightless and blown away, you're describing me. You need to be saved today. You need to receive him. He's given everything so that you might not perish. But there's this third group that would say, I know everything you're saying. I am a believer. Why am I not experiencing that happiness? Ask yourself why. Go back to verse 1 and 2. Am I walking in the counsel of the wicked? Am I standing in the way of sinners? What do I need to do to make these truths a reality? What am I not yet fully believing? What parts of the good news of the gospel have not yet worked their way deep into every part of my, my heart and my soul and my daily life? Because blessed, happy is the one who's planted that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us now. Grant that we might apply this message for a new year, that we might meditate on your law day and night. And God, grant to us a fundamental happiness that comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? I've given the invitation. I hope it's clear. It's our job now to respond. You do as God leads. Pastor Scott will be here to receive you if you need prayer or want to talk. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, thou art the potter, I am the clay, standing, please. We're going to welcome in this new member. You saw Katie Twilley's baptism. You saw that video, and it is now our pleasure. The 1030 service got to vote her in last week. It's now our pleasure to do that same thing. If you're a member here and you rejoice with me in welcoming uh, Miss Katie into our membership, signify your vote by raising your hand saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Overwhelming majority there, and we celebrate with Katie Twilley. Pastor Scott. And don't forget, if you are part of the student ministry and the families, student ministry families have a luncheon right after the uh, 1030 service in the fellowship hall. And then also, again, this week we start Wednesday night Bible studies. So come and find your place. Would you pray with me? So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as we were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. And all God's people said, 
Amen.